are one of the realities of being an adult. I saw this on like an Instagram post somewhere was that uh, you, ha- you have to choose what you're going to eat every night and then you have to prepare it and then you have to clean it up afterwards. And you have to do that every single day for the rest of your life. You know, like that's, what, that's like when you know that you've, you're an adult is when you have that realization. Um, that's part of the reason why I think restaurants are so popular. We've all had that realization and we're just like, you know, any break that we can get, I'll take it, right? Uh, well, when you have kids, you know, there's an added element to it because eventually those kids might be able to like cook for you or clean for you. Um, ours aren't quite there uh, where we're, we want to entrust our our dining experience to them, but, but we do want them to participate, whether it's helping with cooking or in particular cleaning. So in our house, uh, we don't let our boys, when they're done, just leave the table. We say, we've well, got to bust your, bust your plates. It's kind of what we say. You got you to at least take it to the, to the sink. Sometimes, you know, you got to rinse it off or put it into the, the dishwasher. Sometimes you grab other plates, you know, and we want to help them kind of as like a, I don't know, responsibility of the family. Uh, what how would you answer if you put, put yourself in my shoes, if your kid says, dad, why do we have to, right? Like, why do we have to put our plates in the sink? And honestly, they'd probably have a decent point, right? Like, dad, we know that you're just going to go back through whatever we do and do it right or finish it up. You know, like, like what we're doing is so insignificant. It's not going to actually clean the whole kitchen. You know, like you're going to be the one cleaning the kitchen. Why do I have to do this little bit? You know, or dad, I might do it wrong. Like, what if I put it in the wrong spot in the dishwasher? You'll have to fix it, you know, and, and go forward. You know, there's, there's actually like a, a legitimate question there. Like, why do I have to do this? I asked Sherry, like, why, why do we have our boys do this without telling her it was for sermon? Um, and then, no, she knew it was because it was Saturday night. <laughs> no. And she goes, well, we, we say to do these things just to, like, participate in just bringing order back to the, to the house. You know, it's, it's the chores. You know, it's responsibilities. Most parents do something like this where it's, it's not like we're, we're doing this just to be tedious or to make you work hard. We're essentially saying, no, participate with us in making things back right, putting things back in the order that they belong to. Uh, and, and that is probably why I have them do it. Not so that they're actually helping or making any difference. I mean, they are, and they're helping a little bit. One day they will, and one day they'll have this responsibility, but I want to help them see uh, that their part in kind of this bigger uh, responsibility that we're all taking part of. Uh, We could ask the same question back to God. Why do you want me to be so good? You know, when we look at uh, like ethical living, moral living, you look at teaching that the Bible tells us, like, why, why do you want me to do this? It's not like I'm going to change the world with my behavior. You know, it's not going to be that significant. I'm not going to do it right. You're going to have to go back behind me and fix whatever I mess up, God. You know, but a very similar answer is that God wants to invite us into this greater experience of him bringing order to the world. And so he's inviting us into living a certain way in order to participate, just like we're inviting our kids to help clean up. The passage we're in today is all about uh, the do's and don'ts of Christian living. Um, I, I mean, we'll, we'll read it and then we'll talk about it. So I probably should just read it and talk about it. I was going to give a little more of an introduction. We've, uh, you know, Paul's talked a lot about who Jesus is, uh, what we believe, who he is, uh, what not to believe because of who we are in Christ. And now he's kind of going more to the direct, uh, therefore, this is what you do kind of portion of the letter. We're going to read uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Uh, it's a big chunk. We're going to read it all together, and then I want to just kind of sit and think about, think about it a little bit this morning. Uh, so open up Bibles. We've got Bibles on the little table scattered throughout. We'll have it up on the screen behind me. Pull out your phone. If you need to check your email, now's the perfect time to get it in while we're reading. Just kidding. Listen. All right, here we go. Colossians 3, 
1 through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. Oh, what a great passage. I mean, I feel like every, <laughs> I don't know, Colossians is just like richer than maybe I thought, <laughs> you know, before we started the series. You know, I really like even at the ending there, I even thought about saying it when Camille was leading us in worship, where it talks about how we're supposed to teach and admonish one another through psalms, hymns, and songs. And, and she's saying the same thing, like, let's sing these songs in order to help teach us, encourage us, and remind us who's at the core. It's Christ. We're calling this whole series In Him, because that's, that's who we are. We're in Him. Uh, there's a lot here in this passage. Uh, how would you summarize it? You know, like, if it's like the one sentence summary. Like, what, what is he saying to the church? Um, you can play the game in your head. Uh, there's no right answer, but, but I'd answer it something along the lines of, okay, he's telling the church how they're supposed to behave. You know, so like be, because of all this theology he's kind of talked about before, this then is how you should live. And if I summarize it further, I'd make a slide and I'd say, it's like this. Don't do these things and do these things. You know, and just to really simplify it, right? And, and I feel, I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes reading Paul, I've made multiple re references to this. He kind of goes in these circles and jumps down rabbit trails and I have to slow down and say like, okay, wait, what, what are you trying to say? Where are you going? This passage though seems very straightforward, right? And it's, it's very active. You know, he's saying, uh, put off these things, put to death these things, set your mind on things above, set your heart on things above. It's like, these are all things I'm supposed to do. And I say, okay, finally. And it's like, it's, I mean, I understand, you know, I have to believe certain things and God's great. I, like I get those first two chapters, but now this is what I'm really looking for as a Christian. And I don't know if you're ever like this, uh, like the entire Bible. I mean, the stories are great about God and there's stories about old kings and there's wisdom literature and then there's the prophets about how they weren't doing it quite right. Uh, but what I really like about the Bible is when Jesus teaches me and says, do these things. Or when Paul writes to the church and says, do these things. Because those are, okay, that's what I'm looking for. And if, uh, I'm, I probably wouldn't phrase it like this, 
But if that's what I'm looking for, at its worst, I'm probably looking at following Jesus in order to get uh, ethical teaching, right? I want to know what to do. Because it's like, yeah, believing things, yes, I, I believe all those, whatever it takes. But I, I really just want to know what to do. And so, I'm, <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of anemic, right? I mean, if we're being honest, if that's our understanding of what the Bible is or who Jesus is, that he just wants to give us the right behavior and we're supposed to live the right way. Maybe that's not you, but that's certainly present in our culture or it's been there, right? Like if you grew up in the church or you grew up in a family that says, uh, this is what you have to do. And it felt like the emphasis was on behavior. Like let's live a certain way. Don't do these things, but do these things. If we can get this right, you're, you're living a good Christian life. You know, and again, I don't know if that was your experience, but certainly that's a critique on the church. People that aren't in the church or people that were in the church are like, they just want to control your life or it's just an ethical teaching. If we think of this just as moral teaching, ethical teaching, uh, then why do we follow Christianity? You know, like th- this list itself looks an awful lot like, like stoicism, like a, a philosophy back in Paul's day, which has some timeless wisdom to it, like deny yourself your own, your own pleasures and desires that go out of control. Instead, live in love and, and service toward others. Uh, but, but we've got all sorts of different options that we can choose from today if we're just picking how to be good or how to live our life. Uh, why should we follow Christianity? Or why should we hold on to Christianity if one of these do's and don'ts lists we don't really like, right? Like what if, what if we're like, ooh, actually that don't, I'd rather do, you know? Or, you know, we've got questions for it. Why would we follow it? Uh, well, it depends on why it's being presented to us. Here, here's the thing. Paul is not saying, uh, I want you, church, to be perfect, right? Like how does he present this whole section. What, what is he saying when he's saying, this is, this is the list. Put aside these things. He's, he's actually saying, put aside these things. I'm not, I'm not trying to fool you here. But the simplicity of this passage might prevent us from understanding what Paul's actually saying. You know, because he says something like this in verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's right after listing that, the vice list. You know, and there we go. Oh, yeah, here we go. See, I knew it. God's up there in heaven. He's judging us. And if we step wrong or we do bad, boom, wrath of God is coming and the judgment's coming. Right? You know, and, and, but we say, if we can stay good, if we do enough good things, then God will bless us. Now, again, uh, that's bad theology, but it's definitely something we believe. You know, it's definitely something I've heard people talk about. Well, I've got to be good enough so I can get blessed. Right? Or I, I don't want to be too bad. Otherwise, you know, God's going to punish me in some way or, or prevent his blessing from coming. It's almost like, now I don't know which came first, but we, our understanding of God is tainted by Santa Claus. Now I don't know if it's because of our faulty understanding of God that we created the Santa Claus character or if our Santa Claus character has influenced our, our view of who God is. But it's, you know, it's like, you better not shout. You better not cry. You better not pout. Why? Because Santa Claus is coming, right? Making a list, checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty or nice. So it's like, are we going to get coal on Christmas or are we going to get presents? We treat God the same way, right? Where if I can live good enough, I will get blessings from God. But if I step into that don't call him too often, I'm getting coal from God, right? That, that, that's false. That, and that's actually not what Paul's saying. He's saying because of these, the wrath of God is coming as in God's wrath is going to eliminate all those vices. Ultimately, that's what he did on the cross where he's, where he's completely erasing sin and death and evil. And so Paul says, well, throw those off. Those aren't going to make it anyway. Put on the new self. This is who you are. 
He says, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. There's this old self, which is going to die, that, that in God's wrath, he's going to eliminate all those vices where only these virtues remain. So you might as well throw it away anyway and start living into your future. This is what Paul's saying why we live in this way, why these ethics are, are important. We live out who we will become in Christ. So it's who we are becoming because of our identity in Christ. That's, that's how we live. We live, live as if, if that person is our reality. When I was in, in high school, I watched this show called What Not to Wear. And it was one of those reality TV shows where people could nominate their friends that were especially poorly dressed. And then these two like fashion blogger, expert commentators, I don't know, TV personalities uh, would come to their house and they would say, uh, so-and-so thinks that you have terrible style, uh, but we will give you a one-week makeover of your entire wardrobe. You have to give us control over everything that you currently own, and then we will give you $5,000 to shop for a brand new wardrobe. You know, and so if they accept, then they let these people walk in. You know, I watched this show hoping that like someone would like secretly nominate me, but here I am wearing what I wear, you know? <laughs> Uh, it never happened. But, but anyway, if, if they accepted, then these fashion bloggers would come into their house and they'd like open up the wardrobe, like the closet, right? And they'd be like, ooh, terrible. They're like, oh no, that's my favorite pair of jeans. I've had them since high school. They're like, I know it looks like it. You know, it's like, get with the times, you know? And hey, they're real snarky and kind of, you know, funny. And uh, they'd have this giant garbage can and they'd make the person like throw away their like beloved hoodies and they're like, over baggy jackets and blouses that didn't work or whatever it was, out of style. Um, all the while, they, they try to teach them, right? Like, okay, this, this is actually what's going to look best for your figure, for your complexion, for your profession, whatever it is. Um, this doesn't fit. This doesn't fit. This is like, all right, toss it all. And then they sit down with them and they make rules. They say, here's what you're going to need in order to dress well. You're going to try to find things that have this kind of cut or this kind of color or this kind of style, whatever it is. And they say, uh, now go, uh, they take them to New York and then they go, go shop around all these fancy stores. Uh, and then at the end of the day, tell us what you bought. And so they'd go buy different things and then they'd come show these two fashion bloggers, which had been, I don't know, ripping on them the whole time. And they have to show like, look, I understood. Like, let's see, like, look, this looks good on me. And it's funny because some people got it right? And it's like, oh yeah, like that's working for you. Other people didn't. They went right back and bought the same things that they were like, no, throw that out. And it was so funny because they're like, all right, look, you doing this or not? You know, it's like, you have to return that. That, that broke the rules that we had given you on what, what you're supposed to wear, what, what not to wear, right? And so then they make them go back to the store, return it and buy things. It's, it's like, that's kind of the understanding I have of what God's doing with these ethical teachings, where he's like, look, if you, if you, if you accept if you say, yes, you can be Lord of my life, you can come in here, well, then God's going to go through our wardrobe and say, like, all right, well, that's got to go. That's got to go. That's got Here's the new rules of everything you have to have. Like, ultimately, all those things that are out of style, by the end of the week, you're not going to own them. So you can either throw them away now or later, but they're not going to be part of your wardrobe at the end. And so God's saying, like, look, all these behaviors, all these don'ts on the list. Here, I'll go back to the slide. All of those things, those, those won't make it. When I come back and I restore all things, those things won't be there. So you might as well just toss them out now. Instead, do all these things. This, this is what will survive. This is who I am. This is what I'm bringing to the world. Put these on. This is how you're supposed to dress. And so what Paul is saying here to the church 
in Colossae is that we live out who we will become. You know, where, where it's not so much where God's judging us or we're trying to de- degrade ourselves and, and uh, be good enough. You know, we talked about being in that math class and God's a teacher checking us off every week. Pa- Paul's not presenting that perspective. He's saying, no, no, you're a new person now in Christ. So you might as well act like it. You might as well dress like it. But, but here's the other thing. I think that's something that is relatively easy for us to understand. Uh, but Paul isn't just looking at creating individuals that are perfect. You know, again, he, the way that he frames it, he's not saying, uh, you know, all this great theology in Colossians. All right, now let's talk to each one of you. We've got to get you guys better, right? Like, like you are dressing poorly, right? Like you, you need help. He, he didn't present it like that. Not here. He's thinking much bigger And so I want to invite us, when we look at ethical teaching or we look at the do's and the don'ts of being a Christian, let's look, step, step way back. You've got to be careful on the stage. But taking the whole thing, look much bigger. See, because when Paul puts this list together, there's a theme. This isn't just private life of how I can be better as a person. You look at all those don't list. It's when the, the individual is elevated over others and you kind of just do whatever you're feeling, whatever your desires are. I'm going to take, I'm going to do that. That's like the first one's there. And then you get later on and you start seeing where these can now impact others, where you get to the lying or the slander, the filthy language, things that might tear down other people. The virtues on the, the good side of the list. Uh, these are all things that you have to practice with another person. You know, you can't forgive someone without there being someone to forgive. Same with loving or being patient. Uh, Maybe you could argue humility, um, but even that is meant to be done within community context. Paul always thought that he's creating a new community. He's not individuals that are on their own quest or, you know, we shouldn't view ourselves as we're little projects of God where he's he's coming and he's going to form us perfect, just like my son. All right, next one. You know, and then I'll make you perfect and I'll make, no, no, but he's creating this community that is going to reflect who God is. There's a real famous passage right in the middle that says, here is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is a, a popular verse that you've probably heard before. It's talking about, hey, in Christ, none of the boundaries that previously separated us or that separate us in society or culture or politics, wherever we are, th- those all dissolve away in Christ. This is a picture of the church. Well, it's kind of funny. Why is the picture of the church right in the middle of don't do this and do that? What Paul has in mind is not that individuals are going to go on this quest of personal betterment to the ultimate goal of perfection in Christ, but rather there's going to be a community that reflects Christ. And so these don't list and these do list, yeah, they're meant for us individually. Like we're supposed to be humble. We're actually supposed to forgive one another. But the goal, if you look further back, is that we become a a new community. The point Paul's making is that when we have a new identity in Christ, we become a new community in Christ because he's been talking all about how we have this identity in who Christ is. If that's true, we're taking off our old self, putting our new self on, then we end up becoming this new community. And I think we haven't stepped back far enough yet. All right, I got to get like behind the drums or something, you know? Like that, like, yeah, I understand it's community, right? So we're going to do all these things so that we can be better. But again, Paul's not saying, 
and therefore the church has to accurately reflect who God is, then I'll bless them, otherwise I'll curse them, or I won't work through them, I won't use them. These are all common things we believe about God, right? Like if our church isn't holy enough, good enough, looking more like Christ, he won't be present, he won't be working through us. Paul's not talking about that. He's not saying, okay, I, you guys aren't doing good enough, therefore I, I, let me give you some teaching so you can help. Now we're in chapter three here. Paul didn't just separate the letter and say, hey, theology was great, but now I want to fix you guys. He wants us to understand this teaching in chapter three from the perspective of two and one. You remember what he was talking about in one and two? All that theological belief stuff that, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, it's important. Chapter one, 19 and 20, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's in Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then in chapter two, he talks about how we are unified with Jesus, even in his death. He says this, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. What Paul has been saying this entire book is that something significant has happened, right? Like we are at a pivot point in history, right? Before Jesus came, we lived in a world that was broken and we cried out to God in hope that he would fix it. But now in Jesus, we've, we've turned a corner, right? No longer are we waiting for God to fix things, but in Christ, he has reconciled all things to him, it's in this person that things are now being made right. And what's more is that we can experience that with him. Like through our unity with him in his baptism, we, we die with him, but we also rise to new life. We can now have this brand new experience of the new life where God has taken the entire world. Like, like Paul's saying, something incredible has happened here, guys. And now he's saying, okay, therefore, therefore, we live in this way. Right, like he, he does, He's not just creating a community to try to be good enough for God. We can redo our phrase here. It's not we've become a new community in Christ. We've become the new community of Christ. Like th this is what, what God is doing in the world. You know, where, where God is reconciling all things to himself. Yeah, that means all these boundaries, all the things that we currently live in, those all dissolve in Christ. All those, all those do's, all the, the goodness, the patience, the gentleness, that reigns in the world where God is present. And he's saying, yeah, it's I'm reigning in this community where I'm present. Like we aren't just doing something in order to please God. Like we are actually God's work on earth. This, this is the end game. Like this is where the world is heading is, is the church. Like we actually get to represent heaven on earth. The world gets to see where things are going with God, and we get to participate in that, right? Like, we're not just drawing a picture or telling a story. We actually are heaven on earth in us. Like, that's what, whoa, what? You know, so these ethical, these do's and don't lists, they aren't meant for us to try to check off, well, I'm doing this one a little bit better than this one or that. This is an invitation to participate in heaven on earth is what those lists are saying. So to put off, put off all these things, die to those things, Put on these things. This is what God's doing. This is where we are going. So as a church, let's accept. Let's accept the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, wow. Let's go forward in this and live according to what the Bible says. Not so that we could be better people. Not so that our community could look better, but so that we can actually participate 
and what God is doing throughout the history of the world. This is what heaven will be like. And it's an invitation into it. It's going to be hard. You know, you look back at that list. uh, You can't forgive people unless someone's done something wrong to you. You know, you can't be patient with people unless there's people that get on your nerves or other things. It's going to be harder. But the closer we become to each other, we'll have more opportunities to be gentle with one another, to be humble with one another, to bear with each other, you know, as we show our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. That's the call. That's the invitation of God for us as Christ followers to experience heaven on earth. So let's step into that boldly so we can take that with God and enjoy everything he has for us. Now we're going to conclude the sermon today with communion. We do communion the first Sunday of every month. And communion is our declaration or our acceptance of that invitation. We say, yes, I want to know heaven on earth in my life. The only way that we experience that, what Paul said, is in Christ. We have to be baptized with him and raised to walk a new life with him. Now, baptism is something the church practices when someone first declares that, yes, I want Jesus my Lord, but communion is that peace that says, I want to be united with him for life, where we do it every month, but every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're remembering Jesus' death on the cross, where he died to sin and death, and he was raised to new life, and that we, through union with Christ, get to experience that too. So we're going to take communion this morning. I want us to think about our desire to be with Christ and to accept the invitation to experience heaven on earth, even in our life. Uh, Now we say anyone who's made that acceptance is welcome to join us. There's no barriers that we're going to make, you know, because we're all uh, equal in Christ. Uh, But if you're feeling like, you know, that's not me quite yet, I'm still just checking things out, uh, feel free to pass. We're going to take communion at each individual table. There's different cups of juice and bread at the table, so we're going to kind of pass it between the rows. If if you're not taking it, no problem, just let it pass right past you. Um, If you are, hold on to them, and then there's a sheet on each table which instructs how we're going to take it together. Uh, One person is going to read a passage, and then there's some instructions on how we take it all together. Once we've all taking communion, I'll come back up, I'll pray, and then I'll set up the discussion back at our tables. So follow that instruction sheet. Let's celebrate and let's accept God's invitation to experience heaven on earth. All right, would you guys all bow your heads and hearts with me as we pray? Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for everything you've done, for everything you are. We thank you for how you instruct us and we see that this is just a part of how you are inviting us to be part of the new heaven and the new earth that you are building, that you are reconciling all things to yourself. We thank you for that. Uh, We ask for your grace. We ask for your life. We ask for your spirit to be in us. Uh, Help us make those decisions, throw away the old clothes and put the new clothes on that you have for us, Lord. Uh, We want that. We want to know you. We want to know the life that you are bringing to this entire world. We thank you that you have chosen to allow us to be a part of that. May you reign in our life, individually and communally, and throughout the entire world in your church. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, now we are going to have some time for discussion questions. I've got three questions from this passage, but feel free to talk about whatever in the passage uh, that's on your heart. Uh, Here are things for us to think about. One is what might a church service look like if it followed Colossians 3? You can also use Colossians 2 and Colossians 1 as well. Uh, Obviously, we have our own way of doing things, but if you read 
how Paul is describing to the church that they're supposed to be engaging and interacting, what would it look like? Or what features do you think were there present uh, for this Colossian church? Number two, why do you strive to live ethically? Why do you strive to do good and not evil? Um, you can answer this from the, the wrong reasons or from the right reasons, however you want to engage with this question. Uh, and then also, number three, how can we encourage each other to these ethical standards? This one I think is the hardest one. If this is our invitation from God to participate in what he's doing, how can we help each other participate in these areas that are usually off limits where you don't normally comment on someone's gentleness in their life? What does that look like for us as a church to help encourage one another toward these things? All right, so let's take uh, probably about 10 minutes and pick whichever question you want. Uh, talk with each other. Let's interact and engage with this passage of Scripture.